it's important that we come this morning to look at what the scripture says about the grace of thankfulness. I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You and I both know that I hate jumping in the middle of a book, and not just the middle, but the end of a book that we've not been in for a series. But I want us to look in a focused way at 1 Thessalonians 5, in the latter part of those admonitions, especially with a focus on verse 18. Notice Paul there says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But I want us to begin back in verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We'll read down to verse 18, and then we'll give special focus this morning on verse 18. The apostle is writing a church he has just recently spent a few weeks with, and they had been shaken by trials. They had been shaken by affliction that they had endured for professing their faith in Christ. And they had been shaken by a number of individuals who had told them that the resurrection was already past. Um, that was a common heresy in the early church, that there is no hope of the resurrection. So in chapter 4, Paul has set out for them very clearly one of the most focused passages about the coming of the Lord and the way in which things are going to turn out on the last day, in the consummation. The dead in Christ are going to be raised first. They're going to be caught up with the Lord in the air. We who are alive and remain are going to be caught up with him. Those, that, those general truths about what's going to happen at the very end of time when Christ comes to consummate all things. And, and then Paul goes into an application in light of the coming of the Lord, in light of the fact that these things are going to happen. How should we live? And and he has first said that we ought to live in sexual purity. He has said that that is the will of God for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And now here, beginning in verse 12, really through the end of the chapter, Paul gives a series of applications for life in the family of God. And so we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, through 18, where the apostle now says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very, in high, very high in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you brothers, admonish the idle Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Well, we have just come off of a week in which many of us, maybe some of you are still doing this, you have gathered together with family, people have come from out of town, or we have gone out of town, and it is a week that we often most look forward to, and it's a week that many of us dread, because we know once we gather together with family, and everybody's got a crazy uncle, and everybody's got cousins that won't be quiet, And sometimes when you're gathered together, you just want to go as far away as possible. And other times you are just so thankful to be gathered together with family and friends that you have not seen in forever. And there is a dynamic. There is a dynamic in the family gathering at Thanksgiving. There is a dynamic there. Uh, Many of us have to prepare ourselves for that dynamic. All the way on that Several hour drive, we're talking about if so-and-so says this, we're not going to say this. Oh, don't you dare go telling me you don't do that. And if so-and-so's there, you know, don't say this because they're going to get upset. And if they say this, just be quiet and let it roll off your back. Notice those are the kind of preparations we're making. It's never like, we're just going to have a great time. It's going to be so much fun because we understand the family dynamic. And in scripture, and in a local church, there is a similar dynamic at work. Every time we gather together, there is a crazy uncle. I'm not looking or thinking about any of you. There are the cousins that just, you can't stand being around. There is the member that just wants to complain about everything wrong in their life. There is griping and backbiting. And there is an evident, oftentimes an evident, lack of those Christian graces that Christ has purchased for us and that ought to be operative among us in those situations. Now, I say that because here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18, as we're looking at verse 18 in specific, Paul is really setting out applications for Christians to live out the life that Christ has redeemed them to live out in the context of the family of God. He actually gives very specific spheres in the family gathering. There in verse 12 and verse 13, he charges the members of the church to give proper respect and proper esteem to those ministers of the gospel who have faithfully and diligently labored among them. Paul doesn't say respect and esteem whatever leader you have because he has the title pastor of this. He says esteem them highly for their work. He says show them the proper respect for their labors. Paul is essentially telling the members of the church, here's how you are to conduct yourself in relationship to those leaders who are under Christ, who the Lord Jesus has appointed to care for you, to admonish you. Paul understood very clearly what that looked like because earlier in this book, he himself said as a nursing mother, we were gentle with you as an exhorting father. We, we, we charged you. Paul understood the dynamic role that ministers of the gospel were to play among the people of God. He also understood the propensity of the people of God not to respect those that God put over them. And so he gives that first uh, inter, 
ecclesial family relationship and says, listen, here's how you as members of a local church gathered together as the family of God are to conduct yourself with regard to the leaders God has put over you. And then he gives the admonitions about how the members are to treat one another in relationship to themselves. Notice uh, the second part of verse 13. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Oh, I could just quote that over and over and over and over and over and over until I was the cousin you didn't want to listen to anymore. But the Lord wants you to be at peace among yourselves. And then Paul says to take account of the different conditions of the members of the church. We urge you to admonish the idol. There were people here in Thessalonians and Thessalonica that were saying, well, Christ is coming back. We don't have to work anymore. Woo! We'll just be in everybody's business. And Paul had rebuked them. He says, now admonish the idol. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. What a word for how we're to act in relationship to one another as the family of God gathered together in the church, taking special notice of the different conditions of the members of the church and how we're to interact with one another in that context. And then, and here's what we're looking at this morning, and then Paul turns to them and says, now, as the members of the family of God, here's how you are to re relate to God himself as you gather together under the leadership with one another. Here is how you are from the heart to relate to God in your family gathering. And he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I told you already, I want us to look here briefly this morning at verse 18 and that admonition to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There are three things I want us to look at this morning. One is the command to be thankful. Give thanks. It's a command. Secondly, the circumstances in which you are to be thankful in everything, in all circumstances. And then finally, the constraint. Why should I be thankful? Why should I be thankful in all circumstances? Because this is the will of God for you. I want us to look at that this morning. The command to express thankfulness to God, the circumstances in which we should express our thankfulness to God, and the constraint unto thankfulness to God. Well, it's a command. This ought to, seem, this ought to strike you as strange, that the Lord feels it necessary to command us to be thankful. Now, there's a very simple reason why we need a, a command to be thankful, because by nature, we are unthankful. We are ungrateful, we are selfish, and like the millennials and Gen Zers we like to put down all the time, all of us feel like we're entitled to more. We all think it's our due to have more than what we have. And for others to do more for us 
than they have done and for us to seek the best way to lay up for ourselves and to deal with our own interest. And so the apostolic command that comes from the triune God is be thankful. You know, it's interesting, G.K. Chesterton, famously reflecting on atheism and what is the great problem with atheism. The great problem with atheism is not that people convince themselves that there is no God. By the way, there are no atheists in the hereafter. But the great problem with atheism is not that people say in their heart there is no God. It's that they set themselves up as God and they are unthankful. We see this in Romans chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul says that, that men and women know what the things of God because they were created in the image of God, but they, they exchange the glory of God and, and they worship other things. And Paul says, and they are not thankful to God. Chesterton said this, listen, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has nobody to thank. The worst moment for an atheist is when he or she is really thankful and has no one to thank. By the way, that's my theory about why so many artists cave in on themselves in depression because they're working with so much beauty. But if they're unbelieving, they have no one to thank for that beauty that's outside of them. Chesterton goes on to say, he says, the great saint, may be said to mix all his thoughts with thanks. All goods look better when they look like gifts. You see what Chesterton's saying is every single thing that we have, every, every single thing that the Lord has given us, every moment of life, every kindness, every common grace, every temporal benefit is reason why we ought to be thanking God and ought to be doing it incessantly and profusely. This is why we're commanded. Now, uh, thankfulness is different than praising. We have recently looked at that praise and that doxology in Romans 11, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And that's praise. And when we sing, we are praising him. But thankfulness is different than praising. Praise has respect to who God is. It has respect to his attributes, his infinitude, his power, his wisdom, his goodness, his mercy, his justice. Praise is us responding to God in exultant and, 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 and joyful exclamation for all that he is. Thankfulness is us responding to God for all that he has graciously given us. Uh, the Puritan... William Bridge said this, listen, he said, praises respect the excellencies of God. Thankfulness respects the benefits we receive from him. I praise God when I honor him for the excellency in him. I'm thankful to God when I bless him for those benefits I receive from him. Um, I want to ask you this morning, when you take an inventory of your conversations in the car, in the privacy of your home, in the community, when you 
take an inventory of your prayers with your family by yourself at church how much of those conversations and prayers are taken up with thankfulness that's that's the mark not not when we're wanting to put it on but but when it is the overflow of a heart that recognizes everything that we have as a gift everything that God has made us as a grace, that we have nothing in us. The smartest person in this room only has the intellect that that individual has because the infinite God has graciously given it to him or her. The wealthiest person in this room only has the wealth that he or she has because the infinite God has given it to him or her. The apostle will summarize this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, when he says, what do you have that you did not receive? You may have married into it, you may have been born into it. It's all a gift. It all comes from outside of you. It's not because you worked harder. You may have, you may have matriculated the blessings by working hard, but you didn't merit them and you didn't bring them to yourself. There are many people, let me say this this morning, many people who work themselves into the ground and die poor, and die not having the means that other people that don't work hard were given by inheritance. So, so we have to first come to the place where we understand that everything that we have and everything that we are is a gift from outside of us, and it comes from the infinite God who freely gives these things to his people to enjoy. Um, that's cause for thanksgiving. The fact that none of us are starving is cause for thanksgiving. The cause, the fact that every one of us has a roof over our heads, whether really nice or very basic, is cause for thanksgiving. Remember the Lord Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And yet no one was more thankful than Christ. Um, the Lord Jesus embodied in himself what it looks like to give thanks. He gave thanks when he broke the bread and multiplied the fish. He, give th he gave thanks in Matthew 11 when he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. He thanked his Father for God's sovereignty in making known the truth of the gospel to his people. He gave thanks when he broke the bread at the Lord's Supper, knowing what that was representing. His whole life was a life of thanksgiving. Your whole life, my whole life, is to be a life of thanksgiving. Um, there is the command. Chesterton makes this final note. He says that the believer will always throw things into a bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks. You can never put too much in there. You can never thank the Lord enough. You will never say thank you for sparing me. Thank you for this mercy. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provisions. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my upbringing. Even if it's hard, we'll come back to that. We will never, ever run out of things to give thanks to God for ever never if we have eyes to see and so Paul wants us to hear the command give thanks 
Secondly, the apostle tells us the circumstances. Now you have to listen very carefully because for most of us, it is easy for us to thank God for all of the pleasant things that he's given us. For central heat and air. Y'all listen. I don't think any of you are as thankful for central heat and air as I am. I think about it all the time, seriously. That carrier guy should get a lot of, of kudos for whatever he did in creating that. I mean, we get to go to Florida, y'all, in the middle of the summer and enjoy it. I am thankful for running water that is not full of bacteria the way the rest of humanity has not had clean running water and much of humanity today does not have clean running water. I am thankful for a gazillion things. I know that's not a word. I'll say it though. A whole lot of things that we oftentimes never stop and thank God for. And it's easy for us to be thankful for those things. It's easy for us to be thankful for a spouse that loves us and that's faithful to us. It's easy for us to be thankful for children who excel in their studies and who are sometimes occasionally respectful. It's easy to be thankful for that. It's easy for, for children to thank their parents for just how wonderful they are all the time. I'm just kidding. It ought to be. It's easy to thank God that we know where our food's coming from that we're not out here worrying about where we're getting our next meal. Um, it's easy for us. It ought to be very easy. Now, it ought to be even easier for us to thank God for the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. All that he's done for us, the forgiveness of sins, spiritual resurrection, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and life, knitting us together in a worldwide global family of believers, giving us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, sealing us with his Holy Spirit, giving us renewed joy in all that Christ has done for us on the cross. It ought to be very easy for us to just profusely pour out thanksgiving to God for all of those things. The sad reality is that most of us don't thank him as we ought, that we take those things for granted, that we think we deserve more, and the one time somebody doesn't do for me the thing they ought to do for me, I get mad. I say it in that voice because that's the little voice we all hear internally. And I'm going to say this this morning. It is evil to be unthankful. We are to be thankful, Paul says, in all circumstances. Now, I've already said to you that certainly includes all of the enjoyable, felicitous, and pleasant circumstances, both materially and, and spiritually, that God has given us. And we have every reason to do that. We, we could spend the rest of our life just thanking him for all of these things. You get in a car and that it takes you home and that you didn't die in a wreck on the way home. Loads of things, every single second of our life to be thankful for. And yet, Paul means more than that. He doesn't just mean that we're to be thankful when things are going well. You know, the reality is when 
when we think we're being thankful, when things are going well, and I know this from experience, oftentimes we're just really thankful that things are going well. We're not really thanking God. We're just thankful that things are going well in our own souls, really to ourselves or to our circumstances. Um, but, but here, Paul does something else. He says, listen, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. I don't think this is hyperbole. I think Paul really means in every circumstance, we should be a people that give thanks. How, how is that possible? What about, what about when he puts us in the, the trying circumstances, when, when we're, we're, we lose our job for our faith in Christ, or our spouse leaves us for someone else, or our children rebel and reject the gospel and leave the church? What about in those circumstances where, where we contract a terminal disease? Am I to be thankful in those circumstances? And Paul is saying in, in, in no uncertain terms, yes, 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 you are to be thankful. I am to be thankful in every circumstance. Do you remember? Do you remember the, the account of Joseph? He gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He is then, he is then carried down into Egypt. He, he is exalted in Potiphar's house. He is accused of raping Potiphar's wife. He is then thrown into prison. He is forgotten in prison for many long years, and then he's brought out and finally exalted. And at no point do you ever get the sense that Joseph has moved into a period of grumbling and complaining about his circumstances. And in fact, when we read the narrative in Genesis, it constantly says, and the Lord was with him. Now, what does that mean? That means that Joseph was cognizant that the Lord was with him in the, the pit, that the Lord was with him in the betrayal, in his enslavement to the Ishmaelites, in his falsely being accused by Potiphar's wife, in his being thrown into prison, and in his exaltation. You see, that's the principle Paul's saying. In all circumstances, give thanks. I think I've pointed this out to you before, but there's this really wonderful account at the end of the book of Acts, where the Apostle Paul is being carried as a prisoner in shackles under Roman guard, and um, he's on that, that prison ship. They're going to hit a storm. They're going to shipwreck. They're going to end up on the island of Malta. But, but they're on that ship as a prisoner after two weeks of being on that ship, Luke tells us, 14 days. The, the, the soldiers are hungry. They're hungry. And, and Paul finds a piece of bread. Now, I know enough about bread to know that 14-day-old bread, it's stale. Like, I'm sure of that. It's stale. Luke tells us that Paul took that moldy, stale bread, he broke it, he gave thanks for it, and he said to the prison guards, now eat, all of you. That's amazing. What does it look like for the man who wrote, be thankful in all circumstances to embody in his experience what it looks like to be thankful in all circumstances, that's what it looks like. 
being thankful even for moldy bread as a prisoner with no hope of deliverance. Now, that doesn't mean that we thank God for the bad things that he is sovereign over that come upon us as they are considered in themselves. You have to listen very carefully this morning. That doesn't mean that we're to say, Lord, I thank you that I'm a prisoner and I have moldy bread. It's not what that means. What it means, and this is a great way of putting it, G.K. Beale puts it this way. He says, it's not that we thank God for bad events narrowly viewed in themselves, but we should thank him for such events as they are viewed in the wide-angled lens of his plan to sanctify us and to glorify himself so that when we see that the cancer he sends in your life or my life is part of that wide-angled view to make you more like Christ and to bring him more glory, we can be thankful. When we look at a Johnny Erickson Tata, she does not thank him for the event of breaking her neck and the paralysis that she has known for so many decades, but she can thank God for putting that in her life for the good that he would bring out of it for his own glory and her sanctification. That means when I look at the wide angle, I have every reason to be thankful because I know even the difficult things, even the lack of things. And can I say this morning, maybe it's just you haven't been more successful in your business. You think you should have more promotion or more admiration or more attention. When, when, when God withholds those things, you can be thankful because he's protecting you from things that are not good for you. How do I know that? The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, because of the abundance of revelation that was given to me, because God revealed more to me than to anybody else, a thorn in the flesh was given to me to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul was thankful for whatever that thorn in the flesh was, because he understood that the end of that thorn at God's gracious hand was to keep him humble. And that if he didn't have that thorn, it would be detrimental to him as a person. All right. I'm going to give you 10, 10 reasons why we can be thankful in trying circumstances this morning. Number one, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because we deserve eternal judgment and God has removed that judgment from us in Christ. So that anything less than what I'm going through is a mercy from God. You didn't end up in that great, awesome, successful public position you wanted. It's a grace of God. You deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. We don't deserve anything. Anything less than judgment is a kindness from God and we can thank him for trying circumstances. Number two, we can thank him because we've already been redeemed, because we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, because Christ is so full of the eternal riches that he has purchased for you, and they're all yours, and they're all freely secured by him, by grace, so that you don't just 
get the judgment of God suspended, you get all the everlasting blessing of God. That's reason enough why we can be thankful in trying circumstances. Number three, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because we know that our God does not make mistakes. Tim Keller used to say, you know, worry, worry is thinking God won't get it right. When you're worried, you think God's not going to get it right. Our God never makes mistakes, ever. Every single thing he measures out to us, he measures out with perfect wisdom and with a full display of his attributes. There's nothing that falls outside of his sovereign decree. You know that hymn, and I love it so much, William Cooper, who suffered with depression through his life so debilitating that it led him to the point of almost taking his life numerous times. And, and yet he wrote that hymn, What e'er my God ordains is right. What e'er, whatever my God ordains is right. Number four, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because all that God is doing in our life, he's doing for his glory. On Judgment Day, he's going to show us how it all fits together, how it was all working out. Perfect plan of God's self-glorification. Number five, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because we know that God will not waste any of the lessons he's seeking to teach us, but oftentimes teaches them to us in the crucible. You know, there is far more learned in the crucible than in the classroom. I've never met a seminarian that really knows what he's doing because he hasn't learned it in the crucible. He thinks he knows everything. I was there. Every seminarian that comes out thinks that. There is far more learned in the crucible than in the classroom, and God doesn't waste any of those lessons in turning us into who he wants us to be. Now listen, number six, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because we know that we'll be able to extend help to others who are going through what we went through. That's 2 Corinthians 1. The comfort with which God comforts us in those afflictions, we comfort others with. It's a benefit to others that we have been afflicted so that we can comfort them with the comfort God has comforted us with. Number seven, we're almost done. We can be thankful in trying circumstances because we know that God's purpose is to make us whole and complete. We are lacking. We are not what we should be. He is making us what he wants us to be. He is hewning off the rough edges. You know, there are some people, they have every hair perfectly parted, every fabric perfect. This is not me. My wife will tell you. Every shirt I put on, food is on it in like two seconds. My hair I saw in the video last week was like up here. Some of you are put together, but you are bumpy. You are bumpy, and God wants to hewn the bumps off. He wants, he wants to smooth them off. Trying circumstances, painful though they may be, help hewn those bumps off of us. Think about David. Before he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah, he wanted to kill Nabal for not giving his mighty men some bread. 
After he did that and God forgave him, Shimei was cursing at him and throwing rocks at him. And David said, let him live. What's the point? David, who was ready to shed blood over somebody not volitionally giving him bread, was ready to forgive someone throwing rocks at him because God had used the painful circumstance of his sin and his fall to hewn those rough edges off. All right, I don't even know what number we're on. We're on eight. Here we go. We can be thankful in trying circumstances because it is a better place for us to be in weakness than in fleshly confidence. Listen, I have been through some really hard circumstances. Some of you have. Loss of a parent. Betrayal at the hand of somebody you trusted. I mean, these things stick deep into your soul. And yet... It is spiritually better for us to be in a place of weakness, a place where we don't recognize that we have what we need in ourselves because we don't, and where we recognize that everything is in the Lord and that he's our only hope. That is the best place to be in. Number nine, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because the Lord has promised to prune us so that we may bear more fruit. And I know enough about horticulture to know that pruning is painful, but fruit is sweet, and that the fruit comes with the pruning. Number 10, we can be thankful in trying circumstances because they serve as the stage of the deliverance that God is ultimately gonna give us in Christ on the last day in the resurrection. There's nothing you will experience in this life that will be anything other than the platform of showing God's marvelous grace in the resurrection on the last day. No challenging circumstance will ever be anything but a platform to show his grace in your resurrection if you're united to Christ. That's awesome. Uh, You all know, I'm sure, the story of George Matheson George Matheson wrote that great hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And in 1863, Matheson was near blind. His sister, who had taken care of him through his um, formative years and into those early adult years, she had uh, been engaged and she was set to get married, which meant that she couldn't care for George Matheson anymore once she was married. And he was grieved over that. He was happy for his sister. He was grieved over that. Uh, Matheson himself had been engaged, and the woman he was engaged to had broken it off because she had decided she didn't want to be married to a man who was blind that she would have to care for. Um, This is a man who had every trying and heartbreaking circumstance in his life. And in a very short devotional called The Thorn, in a little book that he published that's no longer in print, Matheson's reflecting on Paul's statement, a thorn was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. And he recognized that his blindness, his sister's marriage, the broken engagement, that they were all the thorns that God had given him. Listen to this. This is absolutely astonishing. Matheson said, my God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I've thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. 
He said, divine love, whose human path has been perfected through suffering, teach me that my tears have made a rainbow. Reveal to me that my strength was the product of that hour when I wrestled with you until the breaking of day. Then I will know that my thorn was blessed by you. My thorn was blessed by you. Now listen, every one of you has a thorn. I don't know what it is. And you may not have experienced it yet. It may have come to you. It may come to you. You may have many thorns. It's in those moments. And I fear saying this to you because I recognize that that could come to me at any moment while I say this. But those thorns have been uniquely crafted by God to bring about good in your life. And when Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances, he certainly is including the circumstances in which God has put those thorns in our life for all those good ends that God's accomplishing so that we can learn to say, Lord, I've never thanked you for my thorn. I've thanked you a thousand times for the roses, but I thank you for the thorns. I thank you for how you've used them. I thank you for what they've done for me in driving me closer to you. Now, very quickly, the constraint. Why? Why should we do this? I mean, on one hand, it sounds almost masochistic. It almost sounds like spiritual masochism. We should be really joyful that hard things are happening to us. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying we can thank the hidden Lord whose hidden hand is behind every one of our providences because he's working out his hidden purposes. Now listen, because us being thankful is his revealed will. Notice what Paul says at the end of this. He says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I've had dozens of young people over the years ask me, how will I know if it's God's will if I marry this person? How will I know if it's God's will if I go to this school? How will I know what God's will is for me at this point of my adolescence where I'm having to make major life decisions? And, and, and I do what I do with everyone. You point them back to where God reveals his will in scripture and all that he tells us. Is it lawful? Is it beneficial? Does it bring him glory? Is it something that's good for you and for others? There are, there are those things. But here Paul tells us in a very specific sense, listen carefully, the Lord tells you this morning, here is my will for you, that you would be thankful in all circumstances. That's what I will for you. That's what I want you to do. You know, there are many people, I got to say this this morning, who, who feign holiness under some sanctimonious virtue signaling. Look at me, I'm so holy. Paul says, if you're holy, you're going to be marked by hearts of thankfulness in all circumstances. So if you want other people to think you're holy, ask yourself, am I marked by thankfulness? in all circumstances. It was Cicero, who was not a Christian, who famous, famously said, gratitude, gratitude is the parent of all other virtues. If you wanna know if a person has the gifts and graces 
of the Lord Jesus in their life, you ask, are they thankful? That's the mark. Can I say this this morning? There's, there are zero reasons for us to grumble and complain and be unthankful. And there are more than 10,000 reasons for us to be thankful in everything. I want to challenge us, starting with myself this morning, that we would be a people who are in the habit of thanking the Lord. I mean, you could, you could get on your knees and you could not get off them whole days on end when you start really pouring out your heart to God in thankfulness. We should be doing that. I want to encourage you to do that. No, you all are a lovely and sweet congregation. The sweetest I've ever had the, the grace and joy of getting to pastor. But I know there's always more need for us to pursue thankfulness. And what, what a testimony if people meet us and they say, you know what marks the men and women and boys and girls of Church Creek Presbyterian? It's not their theological knowledge, as important as that is. It's not how much they serve, as good as that may be. It's that they are men and women who I see a spirit of thankfulness in that I don't see in most places elsewhere. Now, when that happens, people are going to be drawn to the Savior who went to the cross for undeserving sinners like us, who rose from the dead to secure every eternal blessing for us, whoever lives to make intercession for us when we're in the middle of those difficult circumstances and they will be drawn to him because they will see his work behind our thankfulness. If we're unthankful, they won't see his work behind us. If we're thankful, it will be a platform for us to say, let me tell you why I can thank God for the thorns and not just for the roses. Let him who has ears to hear this morning, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we recognize that these are difficult truths to hear because we acknowledge, Lord, how often we are like Israel of old, complaining over the manna, complaining over your provisions in the wilderness, Lord, we have every reason to be thankful, and yet we mourn and we lament and we confess this morning our unthankfulness. Lord, would you work in us a deep and abiding thankfulness for all of those enjoyable benefits that you so freely give us and daily load us with? And Lord, would you also work in us deeply that we may be a people who are thankful in those trying and difficult circumstances. When others would grumble and complain, would you make us a people who give thanks for all that you are doing, for all that you have done, and for all that you have promised to do for us? Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts
that are overflowing in thanksgiving because of all that you have done for us in Christ. Lord Jesus, help us, we pray. Give us your spirit and make us joyful and thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.